Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Luke, chapter 1, all over again. We were in Luke 1 last week, and we kind of skipped around. We read the very beginning of Luke 1 and the very end of it, and now we're going to go to the middle of it. Just trust me, okay? You can go and find out how it all fits together in the the flow of the narrative, uh, maybe after worship. But I invite you now to hear, starting in chapter 1, verse 46, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. We've been talking, starting last week and continuing all the way up to Christmas uh, on a theme that we're calling the original Christmas carols. We're not talking about Silent Night, No Come All Ye Faithful. We are talking about the four spontaneous hymns of praise that we find in the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke. Each scene of the Christmas story and Christmas preparation and the aftermath of Christmas is punctuated in Luke's Gospel by the moments that people felt themselves compelled to sing out, to give praise to God. These are the original Christmas carols. And today we're going to be looking at probably the most famous one of them all. The other three, they don't get put to music nearly as often as this one does. We talk about it a lot. uh, And yet I think we, we overlook its implications and we sometimes find it to be a little bit too much for us to believe it could have anything to say to us. Today we're going to be looking at Mary's song that you've just heard. Some places when you hear it uh, spoken of or sung, they'll call it the Magnificat. Today, that's our word, today, our song. And today, this is the word that God has for us. Would you pray with me? Father, whether because of my words or in spite of them, may your word be spoken this morning. And whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, help us to hear. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. A few months back, I was over in the traditional service, and I was preaching on Jesus' funniest miracle. It's the one people love more than any other. It's the moment Jesus turned water into wine. Every time I preach on that, there's somebody who's like, yeah, I love that one. But to be honest, I didn't really know what to do with the miracle itself as I was preaching on it. So I found myself, as I was preaching on it, spending a lot more time talking about Jesus' mother, who was there at the wedding where that miracle took place. And in fact, it was Mary, Jesus' mother, who caused that miracle to happen. That's often what mothers do, right? They cause things to happen. My household, uh, my grandmother, uh, is the keeper of all the best family recipes. Uh, When Granny brought something to the family dinner, you knew it was going to be worth remembering. Uh, But there came a time a while back when Granny decided that she wasn't going to be cooking anymore for the church potlucks or the Sunday school get-togethers, and so she would instead stop at a local bakery or meat market or wherever, and she would get some sort of prepared dish, and she would come home, she'd put it on the platter, her platter, and then she would take it to the party, and Granny lived for that moment when someone would come to her and say, Lou, this is absolutely delicious. Did you make this? And Granny would just get this wry smile and say, I caused it to happen. (laughs) 
That's Mary. Mary didn't make the water into wine, but she caused it to happen. Mary was the one who saw at the wedding that they were running out and went to Jesus and said, Jesus, they are out of wine. And Mary was the one who went to the servants and the servers there at the feast and were like, whatever you do, listen to him, to this guy over here, and everything is going to be fine. Mary caused that to happen. And I remember after I had preached on Mary's role in Jesus' very first miracle, after that sermon, I heard from someone Someone who, like a lot of us here, uh, a lot of y'all, I wasn't personally, but a lot of us in this church uh, was raised in a Roman Catholic tradition. Her family was primarily Roman Catholic. And uh, this person came up to me afterwards and said, I love this church. I have grown so much in my faith in this congregation. I love being here, but thank you. I miss hearing about my Mary. We Protestants. We aren't exactly sure how to talk about Mary sometimes, and so we just don't, except for one Sunday out of the year that we always set aside and we say, oh, wasn't this nice? Wasn't it amazing? We try and put ourselves in her shoes, and it maybe overwhelms us a bit, as it does if you paid any attention to the song we just heard. And then we move on. We get to the rest of the year, the rest of the time, and we just leave her behind, and, and we treat her as a, a sentimental object to be remembered once a year. But today, I want us to, to consider that she might have something that matters to us and to our faith throughout the year, throughout our lives, that she is an example for us in a host of different ways and in ways that shouldn't be contained to just one Sunday out of the year. In fact, one of the most effective leaders I've ever known in the church, uh, one of the most inspiring pastors I've ever met, a guy named Ron Foster, he told me once that he had used Mary as the example, as the model for all his ministry. Because that famous moment that we didn't hear earlier today, but that came when Gabriel visited Mary and said what wonderful things God was going to do. You know, Zachariah, when he was met with an angel last week, he said, how can I be sure? I don't know about that. Can you give me a little bit more proof? But Mary said, yes. And this pastor, Ron, he, he told me that's been the goal of my whole ministry is to just get people into the place where they are able to say yes to whatever God has for them, whatever God does for them. And Ron got his start in youth ministry, and a lot of people told him early on, you know, a pregnant teenager is maybe not the best role model for you to be putting in front of the youth. I said, no, you don't get it. God came to Mary because she had the gifts that only teenagers seem to embody for most of us. That willingness to enthusiastically, wholeheartedly say yes to an impossible dream. A lot of us grow out of that ability to commit ourselves so fully. But God came to someone who didn't know any better but to say yes to God. He says, I love that zeal in our own youth. And when he became a pastor, he said, I hope we are always led by that same kind of zeal that says yes, absolutely, wholeheartedly committed to the impossible dream that God gives us. And we can find some of that dream in Mary's song that we just read together and that we're gonna be going through today. And that's what I hope for you today is that you'll look at it through that lens and what would it take for you to be able to say that wholehearted yes that Mary said as she set the example for every one of us. Keep that in mind. As we go through today's original Christmas carol, what would it take for you to be able to give that same kind of yes that Mary did? We don't have a whole lot of details from Mary's life to go on or help us understand how it is we could follow in her footsteps, understand what it was like for her. We know some of the basic details. We tell them all the time around about this time of year. We know that Mary was very young. 
probably around 13 or 14. That would have been a typical age to be betrothed in her day and time. We know that Mary was betrothed. She was engaged. She was pledged to be married in the old translation to a guy named Joseph. And we know that she had an angel come and inform her that she was about to bear God's son into the world and that she shouldn't be afraid of that. I've always liked that part. Where Gabriel tells her all this stuff and he's like, yeah, but don't, don't worry. Don't be afraid. This encounter with the angel comes much earlier than what we were reading, but we're told that soon after Gabriel came to her, she hit the road and she went traveling to the only person that she knew could identify with her, her cousin, Elizabeth, the wife of Zechariah. Elizabeth, who the word had just recently gone out, was pregnant with who we would come to know as John the Baptist. Elizabeth was Mary's cousin. Mary hit the road to go uh, go hang out with Elizabeth to go share in this experience, their shared pregnancy. And we're told that as soon as Mary approached Elizabeth, John the Baptist leapt in Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth took this as a sign and she greeted Mary and said, who am I that the mother of my Lord would come to greet me? The child within me is even rejoicing. And we're told that it was at that moment that Mary, overcome by the Holy Spirit, bore burst forth into this spontaneous song that we heard this morning as she said, blessed is the one who has believed that the Lord would fulfill her promises to her. Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord. And then she gives thanks to God, saying he has remembered the humble state of his servant. The mighty one has done great things for me, she says. And then she shifts the focus away from herself and onto others. She says, his mercy extends to all those who fear him. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones. But he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich empty away. She concludes by singing about how God remembers Israel and is merciful. And we continue to sing and we continue to set it to all different settings of music because of the incredible bravery and the incredible faith of this song that she sings. This bravery that says, I've got something to say, that even though I'm amongst the lowly, that says God is gonna turn everything upside down. And just the faith of Mary being willing to say, yes, let it be with me as you have said, O Lord. Mary is in a place where she must have been bewildered and afraid and excited, but also confused and concerned about how is this gonna work? And she says, the Lord has done great things for me. And I can't, want, can't help but wonder if we feel the same way. In the midst of things that are sometimes bewildering and terrifying and scary, are we able to say the Lord has done great things for me? Can we sing this praise, this just kind of like overflow of joy, this eruption of joy at what God has done, and can we sing it with our own voices? Do we believe that Magnificat is still magnificent? Or do we think that's wishful thinking? That's how it should be. Is she just a naive teenager dreaming of, well, that's, this is the way the world should work? but we're old enough, we know how it really does. Do we really believe that God is capable and willing to turn everything upside down again? I mean, think about what she promises here. 
She says that God has scattered the proud. I don't know about you, but in my life, that is not always very evident. It seems that pride gets a lot of things in this world. It seems that pride brings a lot of people together rather than doing a lot of scattering. It seems that we often want to rally around pride. He says he's brought down the rulers. He's lifted up the humble, filled the hungry with food and sent the rich away empty. I don't know. I look around the world and I'm just not totally sure. (laughs) That's what I see. Saw a stat today that, or sorry, earlier this week that I think the, the richest eight people in America have more wealth than half the human population put together. It's like, I'm not sure I see this. (laughs) The rich being sent away empty. It seems that pride doesn't get you scattered, but it gets you lifted up even further. Uh, I don't think we have to go very hard, very far to see that there are still homeless and hungry people in the world, not being gathered together and lifted up, but it seems like they're the ones who are being scattered. In Israel, continues to be one of the most fought over, hostile, violent places in the world, even as Mary was able to say that he is bringing peace. Maybe, maybe Mary's world was just very different than ours, or maybe you're tempted to think that it was just wishful thinking. I just know that when I look around the world, I don't see a whole lot of all the things that Mary promised in her hymn of praise. But maybe, it's all in how we look at things. I remember when I was a kid, there were these uh, pictures that you saw in the mall everywhere you went. I got one for myself. My family went to visit Helen, Georgia. Anybody ever been to Helen up in the mountains there? We went and we, we tubed on the river and we, we climbed in the mountains and we saw all the beautiful sights of those. But that's not what, I didn't bring back any mementos to remind me of our trip to the mountains. I didn't bring anything back that was particularly local. We went to a gift shop and I had to bring back a magic eye poster that I saw there. It wasn't a poster of anything that you find in Georgia. It was just a a poster of a wolf howling at the moon. At least that's what I saw. As far as any of you know, that's what was in it. As far as anybody that came into my room knew, that's what it was. You've seen these magic eyes before. I think we got one that we can show you. Uh, You got it back there? Is it showing up? Oh, there it is. It's just not on my screen back here. Great. Anybody tell what that is? If you can, you're better than I am. I I think it's too big for it to show, but you know what this is, right? It's a 3D computer-generated image, and hidden in it, if you cross your eyes at exactly the right angle, or you go look at it on the screen that's back in the sound booth, you'll see it a lot more easily. You can see the 3D image of the letters I and the word you and a little heart. I heart you. As staff, we were trying to pick out one of these to put up in front of you today. It turned out only like two of us can see these things. So uh, that was really exciting when we just, they just had to trust us and what they put in, put in the bulletin. You remember what it was like if you were old enough of a certain age to, that you saw these in the mall, you'd be walking along and somebody would pass one in the kiosk and you'd see this crowd of people like getting real close to it and squinting at it and then they'd back up and somebody would say, no, 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 just cross your eyes. No, 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 step forward. No, 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 higher. And you're just trying to find the right spot and you don't have any way of knowing, right? There's no like halfway measure. You don't half see it or kind of see it. 
You just see one thing or you see the other and you keep waiting until you get it right. You had to look at something that you had already seen. You'd seen this computer generated image, but you had to learn how to see it differently. The image didn't change, right? The poster didn't change. Everything that, was, that you ended up seeing was there all along. But you had to learn how to see it. The only thing that would change is your perspective and the way you looked at the thing that had been in front of your face the whole time. And I think back to that lesson I learned from Ron Foster. It was an important one for me early in my ministry. You know, when you're starting out in ministry, you tend to think of the youth as the danger to be contained, right? <laughs> Just don't get anybody in trouble. And here he was saying, I want that passion that says a wholehearted yes to what God is saying and what God is asking in youth are uniquely capable of doing that. I think back how obvious it is that Jesus had to come into the world through the willingness of someone who would commit herself to what others wouldn't. And I forced myself to ask, what is it that Mary saw that I didn't see? How was she able to see things so very differently? How was she able to see some deeper truth beneath the surface so that even though it seemed like the world situation hadn't changed, she was able to declare peace and victory and that the world had been turned upside down? And I think a lot of that has to do with her perspective, with where Mary considered herself. She says it there in the first few verses. The Lord has had mercy on me, his humble servant has lifted me up. And I think a lot of us fail to see what Mary saw because we don't see ourselves the way Mary saw herself. Maybe we have trouble seeing ourselves as servants. Maybe we have trouble seeing ourselves as anything but one to whom something good was supposed to happen. The ones who were supposed to win, to come out on top, to get validated for what we did. That wasn't Mary's lot in life, by the way. She was an unknown peasant in a backwater of Israel. She did not go through life thinking about how she was going to get hers. The culture around her had not encouraged her to think that way. And so when God go comes and gives her this blessed gift, she rejoices. She says, this is something that only God could do for me because nobody else was going to do it. She saw herself lowly and delighted when she was lifted up. Others of us have no trouble seeing ourselves as lowly. We've kind of come to, be, to expect that we won't get what we were looking for, won't receive that validation we were looking for, that, that there's, not a particular, there's nothing special about us, no particular purpose. We've come to believe that lie come to believe that we are lowly while forgetting that in Christ we are lifted up. That Christ meets us in that place and raises us up. Mary is able to see what God is doing because she knows what it is like to be on the bottom. She is able to see the world turning upside down because she has been lifted up. She has received something that only God could have given to her. In her culture, she is told that she has no social worth outside of her ability to bear children. But despite her place in that social hierarchy, God chooses her to bear the Messiah into the world. And she knows firsthand that God raises up the lowly. And she says, well, if God could do this thing 
this impossible thing for me. And what else might God do? What else might God be capable of, not just for me, but for everybody else? If God can make me the bearer of Christ into the world, then there's no limit to what God can do or is doing or will do. I think a lot of us have a hard time seeing the world Mary did because we don't see ourselves as Mary saw herself. We don't see that we too were lowly and that God has raised us up. God has chosen us to bring light of the kingdom into the world. But Mary realized that her life had been changed by this unimaginable reversal of fortune. And then she was able to see how it was happening in little places all over. It's like seeing that magic eye and seeing it happen right there underneath your nose the whole time. And I think that whether or not you consider this magnificent or just wishful thinking has a lot to do with how you see yourself and how you see God. You see yourself as someone who is reliant on your own abilities so you don't need the saving grace of God. Just give me a moment, I'm gonna get it done. Do you see yourself as irredeemable because of something that you have done or said or thought? Do you see yourself as unworthy because you're not in the the smartest class, the in crowd, the elite, the wealthiest, the whatever? You see God as far away and distant, as removed from your own life journey or so far off that you think of God as like this tyrant who just comes and says, do this, don't do that. The reality behind Mary's song is that she helps us to understand that who you are in Jesus Christ makes all the difference. And the way you receive the news that God is with us will depend a lot on how you see yourself. If you know you are lowly, if you can admit your own frailty and weakness, then you will know that God is lifting you up. If you're insisting you got it all under control, then the arrival of the king is gonna bring you down. But either way, the news is the same that you are recognized by the most high God, that God is choosing to raise you up and bear witness to the Messiah that is being born. The the Magnificat is magnificent because the news, no matter who you are or where you are, is that God is drawing near to you and drawing you near to God's own self. And I'll leave you with this. Maybe we see ourselves as lowly and know that God is trying to raise us up, or maybe we see ourselves as high and mighty and we have no need of God at all. No matter where you see yourself, the goal is not simply to imitate Mary's humility. It's not just to put yourself down, but it is to imitate Mary's desire to know and to trust God. Because if what you desire above all else is God, you'll have no problem knowing that that is higher than you. If you long for the things of God, if your heart aches for the goodness of God and all that God wants, you're always gonna know that that is bigger, that is more than you could do. You're always gonna feel inadequate to the task of doing what God wants done. And just at that moment, When you know how big, how grand, how astonishing is the goodness that God wants and how much more it is than you could ever do, in just that moment, you'll discover that God is there with you. And what you can't do for God, God is doing for you. God is lifting you up, making you an image bearer, making you the one who bears God into the world and giving you a higher status than you could have ever asked for yourself. And when you know that, when you know what it is like to long for more than you can do and have God raise you up to become his partner in it, 
you'll start to see it all around you. You'll say there and there and there. The rest of the world, they can't see it. They're standing at the wrong angle. But in this neighbor and that one and over here in this overlooked place, the world is turning and everything is changing. We only have to have the eyes to see it. And then we'll magnify the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we have often reduced this world to our own sight, to what we can see, to our own lenses of interpretation, to what we think makes sense. We have not begun by asking for your vision and your purpose. And we have not humbled yourselves, we have not humbled ourselves according to the grandeur of your purpose and your glory. So teach us to long for something more. Teach us to treat the overturning of the world not as something to be feared, but as our salvation. Teach us to live not as though we are strong with something to lose that we hold on to so tightly, but as if we are your servants, lifted up and elevated by you with everything to gain if only we will open our hearts to Jesus. Forgive us for all the times we have looked with our own eyes and teach us to look with yours. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen.